What we need is a green light. Or a red light. Oz can figure that out. As soon as we hit live, a red light goes on. Like a studio. So I know exactly when we're... Instead of... You know that every stream begins with me saying, Are we on? Right? And then Ryan says, Yeah, we're on. Oh, that. Okay. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah. Wassalatu wassalamu ala rasulillah. Ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man Welcome everybody to the Safina Society Nothing But Facts live stream. Which is our, one of our biggest uh, uh, divisions at Safina Society. It definitely takes up probably the bulk of our time. Uh, in the daytime at least. Because if you notice many... You ever wonder, the local imam, what does he do in the daytime, right? What is he doing? And they know some people get upset. Imam is different from scholar and residence. But some people, say, they get upset. They're like, wait a second, why are we paying this guy? Didn't do anything. Show up for Maghrib, give a little talk that he didn't even prepare for, and then shows up on the weekend, and they get upset. And you really wonder, like... It's true, though. You got if you if you want to be respected, you have to put in work for the community. You got to put in work for society that's valuable. Not to say that Imam's work is not valuable, but if you want to be valued, it has to be an obvious value and obvious benefit. But in any event, uh, another but facts live stream. It, it has a sister program, which is ArcView, and ArcView is as I've been saying for a while now. It's being revamped. And it's being revamped um, as we speak. But first, we launched. We were busy all summer launching Darul Fatah. You can live in New Jersey now. You come live in New Jersey. The governor saying he's going to lower taxes. Who knows? But you can come live in New Jersey now and become a student. You can come and hang out here at the studio for the live stream. You can come at nighttime. Literally, we're talking almost five, six days a week. We have classes. Now, at Dar al-Fatih, a.k.a. the Safina Society Theological College, which is now open for registration. It's only on-site. So that's our on-site. Now, our on-site operation is two different parts, too. Dar al-Fatih in the evening for the intense students of knowledge. But we also have preparatory classes that are for general community members who cannot commit to a full-time or part-time study, and that's what you see here on this really absolutely gorgeous flyer. I mean, both of them are gorgeous, but I really love this one with the fall classes that we offer. So again, Dar al-Fat is a part-time program that happens in the evenings here in New Brunswick and at MBIC, different classes, different locations. Then we have the Sunday is the, the scholarship track class that I teach. I've been teaching that for 10 years for college students, uh, mature high schoolers show up sometimes, like one or two a semester. I don't let them join more than that. One or two only, mature students. A lot of working class folks, 30-year-olds who are working, they want to study, and we really get them into things so that the moment they're able to take something more advanced or read a book that's more advanced, they can understand it. They know what's going on. They have a clue about what's being said, and that's very important. So that's OATM scholarship. Then we teach the youth. And then, of course, we teach the kids on Sunday, right? So that's the physical on-site 
program that we have. And of course, the third component of our on-site operation is the Hibs Academy. We don't have a poster for that yet, but Hibs Academy is extremely, extremely important. Oz came all the way across down from the library to see this gorgeous poster. Take a look at that. Tell me that that's not an amazing looking poster, right? All the fall colors, so warm, you feel like you just want to have a blanket and a pumpkin spice latte and a book, right? And look out the window as the sun falls on these colorful uh, leaves that we have in New Jersey. One of my favorite transitions has got to be from summer to fall. And then I would say number two after that is from winter to spring. What would you say, Oz? Same thing for you? Summer to fall is so special to me because it's also the beginning academically. It's the beginning of that new academic year. This academic year is so, mashallah, so massive for us. Between the Dada Fatah classes, these on-site classes, Arcview getting totally revamped, etc., etc. And now we've passed 100 live streams, so that's definitely something good. And they're all on Spotify, by the way. All of our live streams today are now on Spotify thanks to... I don't know if he wants his name mentioned, so I'm not going to mention his name, right? But thanks to one of the brothers who put uh, all of the episodes on live. So now there was a fit thrown by one of our patrons. If a patron throws a fit, you listen, right? Because they're, they got skin in the game. This is not some Twitter user. This is a patron. So they put skin in the game, or they put their own resources and got involved, so we're listening to them. I don't know if it's a he or she, but they said that you got a clip from episodes 20 to 100. We were like waiting for people to show up so we wouldn't start the stream. So you got to clip that. I'm going crazy. So I said, okay, we'll find a way to make it happen. If we have to do it by brute force and manually, then we'll get someone to do it manually. Clip them all and then repost them all. Today's topic. Salah al-Din al-Ayyubi part one. Why do I say part one? Because I want to get into some of the details of the battles. Now, you know I don't like to zoom in too much about things. But sometimes you got to zoom in because certain things are exciting. We look at these biographies noting that much of the details are, are they're not for our context. They, they will not move you, right? The details of it. So we don't really go into the details. Okay? We won't really go into the details. But I usually go into the general spirit and the themes. We're going to do a little bit of that, but we're also going to look at the Battle of Hattin, which was one of the really important battles. It's the most important battle. That basically changed the whole thing for Salah al-Din Ayyubi. But let's take a look at one of the most important themes. Salah al-Din he grew up under the shade of Nur al-Din. Nur al-Din grew up in chaos. We said that last week. He grew up in absolute, like, spiritual, religious, moral chaos. There were not many, right? There, there was not a single righteous king amongst the Muslims at the time. He came up almost, you can imagine, the Arab world today, and someone wants to come in with piety and deen. He's going to have to cut necks, all right? He's going to have to be extremely tough. That's what he was, and he got the job done. Growing up in the shade of that, right? someone wants to send a message uh, anonymously, you send it to info at safinasaidi.org. Just a little interruption there. Info at safinasaidi.org. Ryan will get that 
email and he'll ask the question anonymously. Growing up in the shade of that, Salah Haddin grew up in a degree of security. Yes, there were four Latin kingdoms. There were four castles, four cities that the Crusaders had conquered. That's true. But Asham, which is Syria, Damascus mainly, and some of the other cities around it. If you ask the people of Damascus, they say that Sham is specifically Damascus and they have an argument for that. So Sham, when someone says Sham, it means Damascus and the cities around it. Okay? But specifically Damascus. Why do they say that? Because Sham is the city in which the son of Sayyidina Nuh, that's where he settled. Okay? And that's where the Nubuwa and the prophecy was. Because he was... He carried the, the, the baton after his father said Nenuah. Then uh, uh, one son went up north, another son went up down south. And they established uh, civilization again after the flood. Some people say the flood was a local legend, a, a local fit. That's not true at all. The flood was global. Why is it that every civilization has a flood story? Okay. We made his... Uh, lineage, say in the Nuh's lineage, they're the remainder. Okay. In other words, they're the ones who will continue on humanity. So everyone's lineage eventually ties up to one of the sons of Sayyidina Nuh, which of course goes back to Sayyidina Nuh. So Sam or Shem, the Arabics uh, in Arabic it's Shem, in Ibran in Hebrew it's Sam. Where he established life is what we now call Damascus. And that's why Damascus is the oldest city, oldest running city in the history of the world. It's Damascus. It's not Jerusalem, not Mecca, it's Damascus. Okay? That's the special place of Hashem. When the Prophet ﷺ came, it was a massive, massive uh, um, gift that he was told that the people of Sham will not only will they submit to the truth, they will be from the best they will be from the best. That's why Allah, he prayed for blessings for them. Shem. Okay. Now, he grew up, as Shem was on lockdown, right? Complete lockdown. There was no uh, uh, room for the munafiqeen and the shayateen. It was a place of righteousness. The scholars were elevated. The discourse was all about serious matters of jihad, and taking back Jerusalem. The leader he fills you with confidence. He's not messing around. There's not even, you know, not even like a hair of even a direction of selfishness in his reign. Selfishness meaning like he's taking the money for himself, he's padding up his family, all that stuff. None of that. Yes, when they say, oh, he was consolidating power for himself, of course he was. How do you think he's going to rule? He has to consolidate. There's certain things you have to do. You have to consolidate power for yourself. Sayyidina Umar, when he saw that the, the, the Khalid bin Walid was rising so much that people are now, they're no longer like relying on Allah. They're so amazed by him, right? He, he removed him, okay? He removed him. Any sense of an of a emir or a governor that was not following Umar's way, you're gone. So consolidating power, that's expected. You want that. Do you want a leader who's an incompetent uh, fool? where it gets splintered. What did we talk about yesterday? Were we here where we talked about 
Was it the stream where we talked about that masajid, they have administration, and it has to be a strong administration and a strong imam who puts one message in the mosque and that's it? I think it was here. So that's I was looking at the uh, I was looking at the reviews and I'm guessing yeah. his guy pulls the weapon pulls up in a white van and acts like he owns the place. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy and I want that's a screenshot review. because he runs the place. Okay. <laughs> he runs the place. When he he left, a man came to me and said, Can I call the Adhan? I said, What had Nasir ever said? He said, no, he never let me. He said, then why would I let you? Like, is this, you ever have kids? The mom says no about something all the time. As soon as she leaves the house, go ask the dad. This is, and if the dad says yes, you undermine the mom, right? So uh, that type of stuff. I never really understood until I came and I saw the way they operated. They had been running Masajid for years before me. And I thought to myself, you know what? They know what they're doing, right? And it works. So, it works in a big community like ours where if you don't like it, there are like three, four, five, six other masajid within five, ten uh, minutes of driving that you can go to. So you can afford to say, well, this is the rule here. This is what we're going on. And if you don't like it, you definitely can go to one other masjid, right? In small town uh, uh, masajid, it's like one masjid for the entire community. They actually can't get very theological. Because you just have to make sure that everyone has a place to pray in and you can't afford to turn people away. Right? So it's a little bit different and we're lucky that we have, alhamdulillah, that we have options here in New Jersey, Central Jersey. Salah al-Din, when he grew up with that, the idea that you have to fight hard for the bare-bone basics of the deen was done for him already. He grew up relaxed. And his father, remember very clearly, his father gain the favor of Nuruddin Zenki's father. How? Nuruddin Zenki's father, he was very competent in surviving in chaos. He was not a man of deen. But he was very good at surviving in chaos. Zenki Sr. Zenki Sr., his word was that you have to become the tyrant before someone else becomes a tyrant. You have to attack before you get attacked. That was his rule of surviving in chaos. So when the Khalifa, who was his friend, he, he was allied with the Khalifa of Baghdad. When he died, there was a little bit of a civil war amongst the brothers. He saw an opportunity. And he said, we can take over the whole Khalifa. Take over the Abbasid Caliphate. Right? He goes, but he loses. He gets repelled. You, he took a risk. He lost. Now he's running for his life. Him and his men are fleeing for their life. And he passes by the city of Tikrit. This is where Saddam Hussein was from and where I think he died too. He passes by Tikrit. And the ruler, the governor of Tikrit is the Kurdish Ayyub, uh, who is the father, future father of Salah Adin. So what does Ayub see? He sees a powerful man. Okay? Zenki Sr., he's a powerful ruler. He sees him on the run. That's an opportunity. When a powerful man is vulnerable, that's an opportunity. Because if you make hell help him get through it, he's going to owe you for life. So what does he do? 
although he's allied with the Khalifa of Baghdad, he gives him refuge. He hides him. He protects him. He saves his life. So Zenki Sr. now owes Ayyub a debt for life. As soon as Zenki Sr. settles down, he finds Ayyub, and when the time is right, he gives him a little favor. He says, listen, we've conquered a little bit more, and now you could become governor of Balabek. Okay? So he makes him governor of Balabek. Now, Nuruddin, he follows the footsteps of his father in worldly competence, but he's a man of deen. That's the difference between him and his father. Okay? You, sh- you, you should have two sets of mentors in your life. The mentors of professional, worldly benefit. Allah affirms the knowledge of the kuffar for the dunya. When he affirms their knowledge, it means it's good, beneficial knowledge. But he blames it that it's only of the dunya. يَعْلَمُونَ ظَاهِرًا مِنَ الْحَيَةِ dunya. They only know the outward of this dunya. There may be benefits in that. Okay? So when he says يَعْلَمُونَ, it affirms there's benefit. If there's no benefit, it's not, it's not, not uh, useful, right? You wouldn't call it ilm. There could be ilmun la yanfa. Yes, there is, true. But in this case, it means they, they do know stuff, but it's only about the dunya. So the best brain surgeon in the world, how much knowledge does he have? Wonderful. But it's blameworthy if you have zero knowledge of what's far more important, which is akhirah, right? It's blameworthy. So it's almost like you have all the knowledge on phone cases, but you have no idea how actual phone works. What's the point? So, Nuruddin took that knowledge from his father. But he was a man of deen. And he was inspired by certain preachers in Iraq at the time that were talking about jihad and taking back these cities from the French crusaders, which were mostly French, but they were from other places too. You see how France is... Animosity towards Islam literally goes over a thousand years. And when we're surprised, oh, the French, and the Belgian is just a branch of France, right? And all these other countries surrounding France, they have the same vibe. England is separate. It's like you're English, French-like, yep. yep. German-like, yep. Russian-like. That's it. That's all of Europe. Uh, what about Italian? And Italian. Italian, they're, they're, Mediterranean. they're Mediterranean people, so they're a bit different. So the French and the Spanish, they're the Crusaders. So when you go to France, I just want to remind you, and they do something bad like they ban hijab. Why are you at surprise? A thousand years ago, they traveled halfway across the continent to kill you and risk their own life in the process. You think that when you go to their country, you're going to find some benefit or you're going to be welcomed with open arms? Only needed you for labor because they weren't having enough kids. So... Uh, for, for, for the French, the Muslims, the Arabs, when they go to France and have an expectation, or you think that there's a future there, um, you know, just, just go back in history. This is a thousand-year-old feud. Right? So, uh, he's now ruling, where were we? What were we talking about? Yeah, so Najmuddin, uh, so uh, Ayyub becomes the governor of Badabek. And it's a beautiful town it's peaceful and Salah Adin is born there and he's raised there okay and he grows up going to the masjid and learning from his father so I was saying 
worldly competence. You should never have any shame in having worldly mentors in the matters of a dunya. And the Islamic world is not just backwards because of its... Uh, it's, it's backwards because of their lack of taqwa, then there's lack of tawfiq in learning anything good in the world either. So with the saying of that about the Arabs is now we import from the, the nail to the missile. The needle, the little needle the, uh, that you use to sew, and the missile, right? We import everything. What do we produce? So why do we not have this worldly success? Because Allah has not given us the tawfiq. Allah doesn't give tawfiq to sinners. So Salah al-Din grows up in this shade and one of the most important things, when the comfortable rich kids hone in on something, it's going to happen. Because their entire life is a precedent of success. Their entire life, what they want, they get. They have the means to do something. So when rich kids, when I say rich, I mean just comfortable. Kids who never have to worry about money. They, ne- they have all the needs of life and more. And their minds are able to now focus on things beyond the basics. Security, food, you know that, um, what is it called? Maslow. Maslow, right? He made a great observation in my opinion, right? The, 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 the pyramid of needs, it starts off with security. What does Allah say in Surah Quraysh? Okay? If we're all hungry, then no crimes are going to be committed. We're all dying of hunger. So the first thing is hunger, right? So if I'm starving and thirsty, and a criminal across the cell is starving and thirsty, we're both worried about food. So food is the first. Here, Rai's going to pull it up for us. All right. Now, what are we talking about? Maslow's you know, pyramid scheme of... of <laughs> hierarchy. <laughs> his hierarchy of needs. It's an observation. We can agree with it or disagree with it. And he may be 100% right. right? But it's, it's, he's just observing. And we can observe too. So the physical, you got to breathe. You got to have water. That's the first thing, right? You have to have shelter. Is the second next after that? After the after your physical body is secured, you now start worrying about a roof over your head. If you're in a flood, as many of those in Pakistan are, and you're about to die of, of thirst, what do you think about first? They're not worrying about getting married. They're yeah, they're not worrying about married. Yeah. They're also not worried about uh, a roof Hot if he's thirsty, yeah. right? So we need water first. Get water first. So the, their basic needs of people. After that, safety. What were you going to say, Az? What I was going to say is that, like, yeah, and you're not worried about how I feel when, yeah. you're, you know, when you don't have a roof over you. Oh, totally. Yeah. You, all these woke issues yeah. is because we've went beyond the pyramid. Yeah, you know what it is? It's going back up. The yeah. pyramid, then it begins to balloon again. Yep. Where after self-actualization, then it's demands. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's demands, and because you have, there's no direction. If you notice, so no human being, we don't really need a, a sharia to tell us what to do when we're starving, right? You know, you got to eat. We don't need a sharia to tell us what to do when we have no roof and it's raining on our heads. We all, by our fitra inside of us that Allah created, we go seek a roof. So those basic things we can all agree on. We don't need a law for that, or we don't need spiritual direction for that. But once all that stuff is fulfilled, we now ask the question, well, what do I do now? And that's what Nuruddin gave. That's the society he created. It, it wasn't just Salah al-Din, you have to understand. He's the head of the, the arrow. He's the point of the arrow. Nuruddin 
he made everybody here in his society not have to worry about security, not have to worry about the comforts of life, not even securing the deen, right? Securing the deen is a big thing. That's why youth and shabab, they all go to the imam who is doing something. So when Sheikh Hamza Yusuf was coming up, we didn't, there was no like institutions or anything, right? And especially Ahl-Sunnah and Madahib and Tazkiyat al-Nafs and Tasawf and these things, it was a non-thing. He had to fight to make, to give it a space in the United States. Okay, He had to fight for that. Where do people go? They go under, behind him, right? So, but when you're going behind him, you now have time to think about something that he doesn't have time to think about. And in his time, let me tell you what he was criticized for, but it is not a fair criticism. What was he criticized for? That he never settled, established, and taught every single day, and raised up a crop of like youth and one masjid or whatever. It's not a valid criticism. How could he have done that? He, what it was more worth his time to zigzag zigzag across the entire nation, giving, waking people up about this. It's discovery. They didn't even know it existed. There was a time back then. I mean, you did not have internet. You had only a few English book publishers. You had only a few imams. And here he's coming articulating the tradition, traditional senad of Ahl-Sunnah. When I say traditional, I mean passed down, senad, muttasil, of the aqidah and the fiqh, the way it was practiced with a full chain of transmission back to the Prophet ﷺ. We never, never heard of this before. His time was far better off spent doing that, zigzagging. There was no internet for him to make a video and go to a thousand people in a thousand cities. Okay? So, but, now that he's doing that, the next generation doesn't have to do that. First of all, we don't have to do it. Second of all, Allah gave us the internet. Right? But that means also, you're not the only one who has the internet. The fasiqi and the munafiqi and the all groups have the internet too. Right? So, once one generation covers something, the next generation can do the next, fulfill the next level. So when Nur al-Din fought to establish a home for Islam and for the Sharia, which was Damascus, Salah al-Din was now able to think, to, to take it to the next level. And that was namely that he, his training was in Deen and his training was in war. What, what would a, uh, the elite youth of that time, what would they study? Today, they would study business, I would say, right? If you're born into the Vanderbilts or the Rockefellers, it's spreadsheets and it's business and it's tax law, right? That's what you study. If you're elite today, you study business. It's probably rare for an elite to go become a surgeon. Like, is there any Rockefellers that went and became a surgeon? By the way, the Rockefellers, they all have a bad rap, personally speaking. J.D. Rockefeller is one of my favorite robber barons. He's not a robber to me. He's, right? not <laughs> He's not a robber to me. He's the one who supplied light, oil, kerosene, and basically almost invented gasoline, right? In they this, made the middle class, basically. Yeah. yeah. But uh, if you want to talk about like a, a guy who's worthy of hating, that's Carnegie. Really? Uh, sorry, not Carnegie. It's uh, J.P. Morgan and yeah. Carnegie, too. Carnegie's 50-50. Carnegie was good. Carnegie's 50-50. Didn't he give all his money away or something? After he made Toba, right? Basically. <laughs> Andrew Carnegie. So these are the three big. It's J.P. Morgan. It's John D. Rockefeller. 
and it's Andrew Carnegie. After them comes Henry Ford. Henry Ford is from the poor, right? They're all, I mean, they're all started poor. But JD, this, is the, this, is the old, this is the OGs. The next generation is Henry Ford. But uh, John D. Rockefeller, to me, when you read his biography, he was one of those religious Calvinists. No excess, right? Really? No excess, right? And efficiency to the T. He was like Swiss, right? Efficiency. That's why he could not tolerate the idea that there's competition without you taking it out. And he would take out the competition in a very nice way, if you ask me. He would invite him over. He would offer the buyout. Eslim Tesla, right? <laughs> right? No. If the person says no, then he, then he takes the second. The first is the buyout. Then he takes the second uh, folder out. What's the second folder? His books. He says, look, I can afford to sell my kerosene at a loss for two years. Right? You will not get a single customer and you will go broke. Right? When you go broke, I will buy your company and I will make you a manager because I need a bigger company. I need more manpower. Right? He was so powerful and so strong in his business, he was able to do that, have those conversations. So the people either got stubborn and tried to fight him, you lost, or they put up the white flag right away and they joined him. He took over all of the manufacturing of, of, this, uh, 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 of oil in Ohio. And that's where they went on him on antitrust and said, well, what did I do wrong, right? They went on him for antitrust. You know the waste of his kerosene at the time? It was gasoline. He's like, I don't want to waste it. Hire researchers to see what we could use this for. In his lifetime, the car was invented, right? The waste of the kerosene became bigger and bigger in uh, business for him than the kerosene itself. I, don't, I like John D. Rockefeller. He established his family and all this stuff about the Illuminati. I think that all comes later. People just made that stuff up, if you ask me. He established uh, rules of like austerity on his family because he was a Calvinist. He was an austere Christian who didn't believe in like fun. Like he was no fun to be around. Not that he was mean. Okay, the guy who was mean was J.P. Morgan. Not that he was mean, but he was like austere. Okay, you didn't buy something you didn't need. Even some people said like life has to be enjoyed, right? He'd be like, no, we don't believe in any of that stuff. What about uh, okay. Carnegie Mellon? All right, Carnegie. So Carnegie is one guy, Mellon is another guy. Andrew Carnegie. Oh, really? Yeah, they're different guys. Yeah, it's Andrew Carnegie. Andrew Carnegie, yeah. yes, yes. Now, Andrew yes. Carnegie, Andrew Carnegie is the guy worthy of being hated in his career life, admired in his retirement. Andrew Carnegie is the, he, he did cheap stuff, and he screwed around with the laborers in Pittsburgh. All of steel, Pittsburgh Steelers, all that, it's all Andrew Carnegie. And by his own admission, he knew nothing about steel. He just knows about business. So he, is, he was from Pittsburgh. He established it all there, right? That's why Pittsburgh became Pittsburgh. It's because of him. New Jersey and New York became New Jersey because of J.D. Rockefeller. He established, his headquarters was Jersey, although he's an Ohio guy. Mobile and Exxon are what they broke up. When they broke up, let me just go back to this. When they broke up J.D. Rockefeller, uh, because he had so much so many of these oil refineries, they broke it up into 32 companies because he had 32 divisions. So it's at every division. Imagine like they break up Arcview as a company, 
uh, Dar Fat is separate. Everything is separate, right? So they broke it all up. But his attorneys replied back, are you stealing it from us? Is this communism now, right? They said, no, no. You're going to be a shareholder in every single one, right? He said, okay. What can I run himself? He said, you can't run any of them, but you're a shareholder. So he became extremely depressed by this, and he went and he spent time the whole year with his new grandchild that he had. His accountant comes back after five months. He said, sir, in this past five months, you have not lifted a single finger. You've made more money, right, as a shareholder of these companies than you have made in the past, like, two, three years combined in five months, right? It turned out to be the biggest thing for him. He did no work, and he owns all of them. And guess what they end up doing? They end up consolidating anyway. So you took, imagine 32 two vice presidents. Each one of them becomes the CEO. Now, you have now 32 fish in the pond. Now they're going to do the same thing. They're going to do the same thing. Uh, so they consolidated, right. and then who are they coming for advice? To him again. So nothing really happened, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone just got a little bit richer, and he got a little bit richer. Right. So Exxon is from him. Mobile is from him. It's all that. Exxon was like J.D. Rockefeller, New York. Mobile was J.D. Rockefeller, New Jersey. It's like that, right? It was called Esso first. In any event, Carnegie was a jerk who screwed around with the employees to squeeze the employees. You work seven days a week. You double the work, half the pay. Stuff like that. Until they would, like, protest. They protested. There were riots by the workers. When he retired, he felt guilty. He started giving away all his money. And half the stuff, it wasn't for show because it wasn't even named after him. He didn't care about the name. He would go to the township, build a library, call it whatever you want. Stuff like that. Now, who is the, the other guy who was probably the funnest to be around, but the craziest and the meanest was the banker, J.P. Morgan. He's the Monopoly man, right? Monopoly guy? Is that who it's? That's J.P. Wow. Morgan, yeah. J.P. Morgan is him. And he's a New Yorker, right? That's why all the streets yeah. are found between New York Broadway, and New Jersey. Yeah, Broadway, Park Place, yeah. all that stuff. Atlantic City, right? Atlantic. Wow. All that stuff is J.P. Morgan. So... J.P. Morgan is the guy, you don't see a lot of pictures of him because he had a, di- a disease on his nose. And he's had a massive nose with like, there was like a war zone on his nose. So he wasn't a lot of pictures. But he is essentially the Monopoly man. That's the caricature of J.P. Morgan. And he was famously known as um, Yes, No Morgan. Because a person would come in and he would make a flash decision right away. Like he was uh, right away yes or no about this person this person is full of nonsense or this person is the guy and then he was it was literally he would back the business and it would be literally by the force of his personality that the business would succeed or fail so that's jp morgan essentially and these are the robber barons um i don't even know how we got into talking about all this stuff it's kind of relevant because it's human personality that's what we're talking about human personalities Yeah, so today, in today's world, what are they, these guys, they don't go into medicine and engineering and IT. They go into business, right? They go into management of business and how to move money around and make the money bigger money. They don't go into actual work. In the old days, okay, in the old days, you went to warfare. If you want to secure your city, if you want to expand your city, if you want to get rich, spoils of war, all of warfare, you studied warfare. Okay, that's what you studied. And so the country that had the best trained soldiers is the country that's going to survive. If you want a stability, you have to manually get it back in the old days, 
Okay. So Salah al-Din al-Ayyubi was raised on warfare. Okay, it's the study of warfare. That's what he studied. How to ride horses, how to shoot arrows, how to use swords, all that stuff. And of course we know that they were Kurds, whereas uh, Zenki was a Turk. The Zengis were Turks. The Ayyubids, there's no Ayyubids right now. It's just one family in Badabek, and they're Kurds. As he grew, where do you go? You go to fight for the king's army. And that was Salah al-Din advanced, and he did very well in the army of Salah al-Din. Uh, sorry, of Nur al-Din. And he had two trips to Egypt. The first trip was so bad, and he hated his uncle Shirku. He hated him. Shirku was an irreligious man, intemperate man. He just he despised him. Also, that Salah al-Din was well put together. Shirku was like a slob, blind in one eye, not handsome. Not that blindness is a bad thing. You could be handsome and blind. But he was a slob. And he was an irreligious man, intemperate man. But he was Nuruddin's brother, and he knew how to get the job done, so Nuruddin used him. He was his number one guy. So at that point, uh, uh, Salah al-Din was forced to go with him. His name was Yusuf. Salah al-Din's name is Yusuf. He was forced to go with him and be his assistant on many trips, and he despised it. So he went to Egypt, he despised it. He had to go a second time, and he had an advisor called Qadi ibn Shaddad. Baha'i din ibn Shaddad. And Salah al-Din complained to him, Nur al-Din is sending me back to Egypt, I'm going to com- tell him I don't want to go to Egypt. So he goes to Egypt. Okay. Uh, so he, he, he complains to Nur al-Din. Nur al-Din says, you're going he says, I really don't want to go to Egypt. And he forces him. Nuruddin says, you are going. And his father said, enough writing to Nuruddin and trying to t- stop talking to him. Right? Don't, don't bother the king. You're lucky you have this position. Just go. And Qadi Baha'uddin said to him on his way off, he said, You might hate a thing, but it's really good for you. Right? And that was the last night that they were sitting in the courtyard of his house having uh, some food, and Qadi Baha'uddin said that to him. Next morning he goes to Egypt, never came back to Damascus. As a soldier, as a soldier. He came back as a conqueror. Right? He went and he, he went to Egypt, but when he went, he left Egypt, he never came back either. He never went back. He really hated Egypt. He went to Egypt, and as I said in the last Thursday stream, you could read it there, that he ends up becoming... He, it, it, within a few months, becoming Sultan of Egypt. We're not going to go over that again because we went over it last week. He comes back. He 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 avoids Nuruddin for two years. Nuruddin dies. Are they enemies basically? Cold War. There's a cold war between Salah al-Din and Nuruddin because Salah al-Din, his dad Ayub, he tells him, "You don't know this. You a." a a country has fallen in your lap you don't give it up you don't trade this for no value you don't give that away but he said yeah but I'm Nur al-Din's soldier he says son stop being naive right you, a country has fallen in your lap you don't give this up so by the orders of his dad who's a foxy wily politician fox right he he doesn't give, he doesn't submit Egypt to Nur al-Din and he avoids Nur al-Din so he says, you write him the nicest letters, but you don't give him an inch. 
right? And the camp of Salah al-Din, they were like, oh, we don't need Nur al-Din anymore. We're our own thing now. And Salah al-Din himself would get riled up. I don't need Nur al-Din anymore. I'm my own. His dad would say, you be quiet and don't ever utter a word against Nur al-Din. Now, he's not saying this for akhlaq. He's saying it so it doesn't reach him. You'd never utter a word against Nur al-Din. Okay? Because also, who's the stronger one at this point? Nuruddin's army is veterans. This, he has no army. Salah al just starting. Mm. You don't utter a word. You only say what is appropriate and right. But you don't give him an inch of this country. Was Salah al-Din's father there with him? Yeah, he moved. So he, left, he, le- he left Nuruddin's and he moved. Now imagine like you got, like a guy opens up a company mm. and then his assistant is on a trip and he goes and he finds another resource as good. Mm. You don't just say, oh, well, maybe some people would say, here, this is yours, right? Because right. you, I was here on company no, you time. Spin you spin off. You spin off, right? You're, so even if you're on company time, because Nuruddin says, you're on company time here, right. right? You went there on company time, right? So this did, is mine. Did Egypt need to be conquered as well? Like, Egypt was need. Egypt was Shia. Uh, yeah. Okay. So the Crusaders went to Egypt. Right. The, the Fatimids were weak. Right. So they asked Nuruddin for help. Nuruddin went, sent Shirku and Yusuf, Salah al-Din. They conquered it. Shirku, being who he was, uh, uh, like a gangster that he was, he is invited in a feast for gratitude, basically, a thank you feast. Thank you for propelling the crusaders. At the feast, he's looking around, he's like, this is, this is the king? These are his soldiers, right? And like, we're taking this place. And he conquers it. He, take it from, he took it from the Shia, from the Fatimids. That was not the order. The order was go, repel the crusaders, come back. There was no imagination that you could actually conquer the place yourself. Until they saw it. Until he saw it, and he's like, the place falling apart. And take it over. Now, now you have Nuruddin ruling Syria, his brother ruling Egypt. So that's one, right? Shirku, the f- he had a foolish element. He ate so much, he died. He partied. For two weeks, he died, right? And they said he died from overeating. When he died, he saw no one else loyal or worthy than Salah al-Din. So he said, called him on his deathbed, he said, you're king, you're king of Egypt. You had no kids or anything like that? No, you're king of Egypt. So Salah al-Din okay, well, ask Nur al-Din what I should do. Then his father comes quick. He says, son, you don't even know what you're doing. You never see like an old veteran telling his kid, yeah. I'll take it from here. That's what Ayub did. He said, let me, let me take this from here. You don't know what you're doing. We're not giving an inch to Nuruddin. Because it's just an opportunity. Then Nuruddin dies two years later. And, that's, and once you have Egypt, so he then marches, Salah al-Din marches to Damascus. He's known. They love him, Right? Nuruddin's son is young. He's just a boy. So uh, they actually welcome him in. And of course the camp, Nuruddin, the Zengi camp is, is bitter about this. Salah al-Din takes Nuruddin's ex-widow uh, 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 as a wife. right? And he rules Damascus. He never goes back to Egypt. He rules from Damascus. So that's how Salah al-Din became ruler of, e- of Damascus and Syria and Egypt. 
When he became that, it's just a matter of time now. Why? Because if you have Syria and uh, Syria and Egypt, Jerusalem's in the middle. Yeah, it's it's just a matter of time. That's why they call it the pincers, right? And that's why in the sixty-seven, I think it was six, seventy-three or sixty-seven, one of the failed wars of Egypt, uh, is that they unified with Syria, and they were they were going to squeeze Israel, but they failed. This is why they want so much instability. They, so much power in these locations. Israel, yeah. their plan from the beginning is that there's the big three. Egypt, Syria, Iraq. Well, no. Egypt, Syria, and then where's Iraq? Like here? Iraq is like... Yeah. Either way, it's a triangle on Israel. Right. And it's the historical seats of civilization for the Arabs right. and the Muslims in that area. So as long as these three are either unstable or traitorous, right, yeah. you're fine. Nothing else matters. And that's the policy of Israel, the big three. You go look in the history books, all they care about is destabilize the big three. Right. And where's the... Egypt, coward, right, Camp David. Syria is still a problem. Well, they destroyed it, right? No, no they're, they're very happy about it. They're very happy. Iraq is, who knows, no man's land, ISIS and... Iraq was a big one, if you think about it, because that required billions of dollars and they, billions of dollars. That took a took yeah. two wars, right? It's a scorched earth yep. kind of policy. It took two wars, yeah. and Salah uh, and and Saddam Hussein, it was crazy. Right. He sent rockets in on Tel Aviv, right? right. No other Arab had done that. Yeah. Syrians, with all their in their 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 crazy beliefs of these uh, Alawites, right. they're against Israel. Right, yeah. they remain to be against Israel, so uh, they were a problem. The Nejd, the Emirates, and Saudi is—they're the new powers, but they could be bought. They're not just treacherous; they never were against Israel. They want to be right. supporters of Israel, right? Now the new generation. So they bought some. Mm-hmm. They, dis- they tried destroying some. Yeah, and they turned other people against. Exactly, them. it's either a buyout, a complete destruction, or cause civil war amongst them. Right. And they did all three of them only because the openings is our sins. Right. The sins of the Muslims is their openings. Um, now, I want to read you now the most important battle that Salah din got into. Now, it is said about him. Let's talk about a little bit of his personal life. He was a rich kid, like any other rich kid, who enjoyed life. Just like Sayyidina Omar ibn Abdul Aziz was noted, he was a rich kid, right? That loved life. He was a good kid as a youth. Both of them, they're described like that. But as soon as Egypt and Syria fell in his hands and he found himself to be the king of these two cities, he transformed. And he realized, Allah is sending me on a mission here. And once this happened, it is said that they both lived exactly the same. Salah al-Din and, and, and uh, uh, Omar ibn Abdul Aziz is that they went from being pampered rich kids. Now remember, Nuruddin was not a pampered rich kid. He was son of a gangster, right? Gangster, son of a gangster, okay? When I say gangster, I say it in all, like, in, in a very good way. I have good connotations for those types. I mean by that the guy who can survive in chaos. That's what I mean when I use that word gangster. He survives and he thrives in chaos. Omar ibn Abdulaziz was not born in chaos. Salah al-Din is not born in chaos. They're born in peace, privilege. Once their mission becomes clear to them, they both become from the most 
prominent ascetics, Zuhad, does not care at all for the dunya, so much so he had a physician who did not monitor his medicine, he monitored his food, especially on the battlefield. That he would go out to battle and Salah Din would just not eat. All day, working, working, working. He wouldn't even eat. Okay. And that his home was the tent. He spent more time away from his home than he did. I don't know what it was. When he died, he had hundreds of days of fasts to be made up. Because he was never home in Ramadan. He was always in battle. You want to talk about these CEOs who work 18-hour days? This is what he was. Non-stop. When his mission was established, that was it. Lights out. And that's why I said, when the rich kids get onto something, and it's over. You're not stopping them. Because they are accustomed to getting their way, and they have all the means to get their way. That's the thing. They're accustomed to getting it, and they have the means. And he took a joy. And it was so much so, when the battles were over, and they had to pack up tents, the depression was seen on Saladin's face. Right? You ever, see, you ever go to, uh, for us, in our time, it was traveling to sit with Shiuch. You come back, you land in JFK Airport, you're in depression. Right? I, I don't want to be here. I want to be back there. Right? It, it, it's said by Baha'uddin ibn Shaddad, his biographer, and his sheikh, and his mentor, and everything, and his, his, uh, his counsel, that the, the, the worst day you think his mom died is the day that, whether it's a pact or it's a victory, whatever it is, when they're packing up the tents and the soldiers are all going back to Damascus, you see the look on his face is a look of death. He's mourning death. He wants to be on the battlefield 24 hours a day. Okay? So, Battle of Hattin. 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 Okay. Is what is the most important battle, and it's against the the enemy at that point. Is uh, there were two kings that he fought against. Mm, the first one was Reginald of Chatillon, and he was the one that Salah Din despised. He's the one who wanted to wage war in Medina. He's the one who wanted to take the, the grave of the Prophet ﷺ. And it was noted that a dream, the Prophet ﷺ came to one of the, who was it? It was a time of Nuruddin or Salah al I, I think it was a time of Nuruddin. Nuruddin. I saw a post on it like, like just a couple of days ago. And the Prophet warned him of two red-haired people. When they got to Medina, the, see, he went around investigating and call, demanding for an investigation to find these two red-haired people. They ended up finding them. They said, no, no, we're, we're Muslims and we're just making Umrah here and visiting the grave of the Prophet ﷺ. They discovered that they were plotting to dig into underground and take the body of the Prophet ﷺ out. Reginald was behind that. Okay. Then there was another... Okay, uh, king at the time, whom Salah al-Din accepted. Okay, and that was uh, who, who that was. He he tolerated this king. 
Which one was that? Anyway, does it? Huh? Uh, he came later. Richard Leinhardt came later. He lost all his battles. Right? But, I mean, when you lose, the praise of the person is say he has heart. <laughs> right? I've never seen a winner be called say that he has heart. No, you're busy calling him a champion. Right? So, this battle took place uh, near the Tiberias. Right? At a village called Hittin. And it was, it had two hills. That's why they call it the Horns of Hittin. Now, Guy of Lusignan, that's who it is. Guy of Lusignan. He was a decent, noble, he's like a regular king. Okay? He was the son of Baldwin V. Now, I have to tell you, that's why I said this is part one of Salahuddin. Part two, I'm going to tell you that Salahuddin didn't win all the time. He was outclassed and defeated by a king of Jerusalem who was a leper who had to be covered from head to toe from the sun wrapped and then covered in armor to the point that his, he would have like fevers just from the heat and everyone said you can't rule you're a leper he was youth he was younger than Salahuddin Salahuddin took him lightly and he lost to him he was defeated okay this is Muslim or not? No, no the Jerusalem king of Jerusalem uh, so uh, Christian yeah he was a noble king Right, but and Salah, and Salah Din could not get around him, right, until he died. He died young, the king. How are we on time? It's already two thirty-five. You know, I want to give this its due, so I'm going to cover the Battle of Hittin uh, and the other battles of Salah Din next week because I want to give it its due and zoom in properly because this is worth zooming in. It's a fun uh, battle to zoom in. But I'm going to cover some other themes about uh, Salahuddin. He was known to not make an enemy where you didn't have to. Whereas in Nuruddin's book, he adopted the law of his father, the laws of chaos. Everyone is your enemy. Nobody can be trusted. Salahuddin was the opposite. He's like, I don't, we don't need to do that, right? Like, life was a lot more stable. You're not my enemy, right? I will try to make you a friend as much as possible. And it was Stanley Lane Poole who wrote the book about Salahuddin. I guess he learned Arabic. And he wrote such a glowing report about Salahuddin. That's where Salahuddin becomes a European, almost like favorably viewed by the Europeans. And that favorable view of the Europeans trickled down to the Muslims. And the Muslims started to take up Salahuddin as this great hero way later. At the time, Salahuddin, of course, was a hero. But believe it or not, if you go to the lore of the Syrians and the talk of the Syrians and the poetry of the Syrians, their ma- imagination is taken up by King Baybars, another king later on, who was loud, fought, okay, had wars, and Salahuddin, yes, was one of the heroes, but was not viewed the way he is now. Like, you know, the Muhammad Ali, for example, in the 70s, was not viewed the way he was in the 90s. 90s is like this legend. Malcolm X, for example. Everyone Malcolm X t-shirts. Malcolm X has, I think he has a stamp, right? It was like an outlaw in his time. So Salahuddin, of course, was, was celebrated in his time. No problem with that. He was celebrated, but not to the degree that he is today. His temperance in victory is why he's celebrated. 
But at the time, they were cheering on King Baibars, and the most of the poetry and the stories was about King Baibars, who was semi in the deen. He's not a religious hero. That's why his name faded from our circles. Like, if you're a student of knowledge, you don't know about King Baibars, because he's not a muttaqi in that respect. He did f- fight major battles. But let's talk about these battles next week. This was the general overview and the idea that when the polished, stabilized, rich kids get on to something, lights out, they're going to get their way because they have the means, they're used to victory, and that's exactly what happened in the time of Salah ad-Din. And they're great ambassadors, right? Whereas Nur ad-Din was a great, he's a great winner for the Ummah. But when you need to put forth in history the image of the winner, sometimes you want to put someone soft, right? right? You're selling your, 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 your message here. So you want to sell, the, you want the man who forgave his enemies. Like that's how strong he was. Whereas Nur ad-Din, on a suspicion, okay, it was chaos. So that's why it was a different situation. All right, let's open it up for the chat. Uh, so general uh, view of Salah ad-Din first, and then uh, is what we covered. And now, and next week, we will get into the actual battles because there are some really, really nice battles. Um, this was the old world version of, uh, I would say, Bulls Lakers, like how the Bulls they fought the Pistons first, then the Lakers, and but but the domination is coming in the sense that you know that the Bulls are going to dominate the league. Likewise, in the old world, once Salah Hadin took over Jerusalem and Egypt, you knew he's taken over. It's just a matter of time. So he had to go over Baldwin. And then he had to get over Reginald. He had two main enemies. One was a respectable enemy, Baldwin. He did not defeat him. Like he was losing to Baldwin until Baldwin died. And then Reginald was a pest. He was terrible. What about Richard? Richard came later as a challenger who never beat him. Like he's the New York Knicks of the old world. Okay. Like the challenger that can never beat Salah Haddin. Right. And then you have, of course the nasty ones which were the assassins the Hashashin the Ismailis right after this we're literally on the coattails of the Mongols now but the Mongols never got that far right? So they never went to Egypt no yeah. or I Jerusalem I thought the Mongols made an agreement with the Crusaders and fought against there were different agreements like that Yeah, nasty times man and that's where Anatolia comes in play Crusaders on the left Mongols on the right and who comes out of the middle of that? All right, Sultan Mahmud. And of course, before that, the famous, uh, what the show is about, which is basically heir to rule. Right? I really would like to know that, like, what is the comparison of our time versus their time? In what? Where, we have the Mongols, right? yeah. and they're brutal. Yeah. But the level of brutality, a bomb is more brutal than one Mongol soldier. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So what, like, you know, a lot of times people will say that, you know, if you think our time was bad, Mm-hmm. Go back to the Mongols' time. No, the Mongols are more vicious. You just compared them to the Pistons. <laughs> <laughs> the Pistons, yeah. yeah. No, the Pistons, man. But that question, is like Dennis Rodman. These guys are crazy. Yeah. Like you don't want to play against these guys. Right. But my question is that yeah. the typical like the pagans, the average person at <laughs> yeah. the time of the Muslim world. You're scared. You're scared right. to death of the Mongols. But would you be more scared of the Mongols, or, or the, would you be more scared of? Being bombed. Why being do you bombed. think in Iraq, what, were the, what was the American, uh, the nickname for the Americans? The Mongols. Really? Because um, the British would right. come in, yeah. right? They want to, 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 to live in the country. 
The British, when they came in, they're, they're brutal colonizers, no doubt. But when they came in, like, they want to live in the country, right? They want to actually have clean roads. They want to settle. Right. They, want to t- they want you to settle so, you could, so that you could work and we could tax you. The Americans just came in with, they don't care about that. They come in from their overweight from Texas, right, with their big SUVs, bomb everything. We're going back to watch football anyway. That's the vibe that the Americans gave off when they took over Iraq. Whenever the British went somewhere, they're like, all right, let's do as minimal damage as possible so we could squeeze every dollar and cent and resource out of these people and have to fight as little as possible. The Americans come in, blow it all up. Well, we're going flying back 3,000 miles in our comfortable homes anyway, right? Eating uh, all-you-can-eat Chinese buffet, right? That's the American uh, vibe versus the British. So the, the Iraqis used to call the Americans the Mongols, right? Because it's just like killing without... Uh, Ali Raghab says, uh, Baldwin and Reginald, they're all French. Well, French, but they're now raised in Jerusalem, so they speak fluent Arabic, Right? And they take on the the garb of the uh, of the uh, Middle East at that time. Does Sophia Society have an Islamic history course for adults? We did have, uh, we do have on the uh, on Arcview Basic. We have a couple history classes. Chief Latif says black flag was mid, middle of what? Mid means it's a new term. Mm-hmm. It means like mediocre, basically, or less than mediocre. Mediocre. The black flag is okay. I don't know why it would be mid. But let's go to the. <laughs> I was talking about the game. No, he's talking about the video game. <laughs> Assassin's Creed. No, yeah, oh, okay, okay, okay. Okay, sorry. There's, there's um, context upon context. There's levels. For that. <laughs> levels of that. Right? Levels of youth. There's level of youthness <laughs> on that one. Samreen Altaf, are you still here? She said, I worked for JP Morgan for eight years. It's a great company to work for. Their investment. Uh, Lily Rose reminds me, now we're talking about, because we talked about the robber barons, for which, which to me they're not robber barons, they're winners. But people are jealous. Yes, Andrew Carnegie, he bullied his workers a little bit. You think people, the, the workers, if they were the rich, they would do any different? I would not justify it, but we have here in America this thing where it's almost like we want to always tear down the successful person. And to justify our mediocrity, we want to make them robber barons. You wouldn't have America without these people. Like, you wouldn't have a normal... You wouldn't have so much of what we have without a guy like uh, J.D. Rockefeller mopping up the whole oil business. He mopped it up, and he systematized it. Henry Ford, right, with the factory work. He, where do we get the five-day work week for, from nine to five? Ford. Henry Ford. He invented that, right? Henry Ford, because of his efficiency of the factory of the assembly line, he gave birth to many, that idea, not him, but the idea, gave birth to many, many companies who imitated that and then really like their product has entered every home. Now, it's a minor thing, but it's a big deal that it's part of everyone's life. Does anyone not know what a Hershey Kiss is? How were those things wrapped in the old days? The assembly line, right? Um, A lot of other companies, I can't remember how many... uh, Harley-Davidson, the motorcycle. They're two dudes. They looked at Henry Ford's car. They said, let's take a little engine, stick it on a bicycle and have races. They invented the motorcycle. Like, all these things touch our lives and it all starts from a guy who got the job done and then people want to, I don't want to say crap on him, but that's what they want to do. 
right? They you want know, to tear him you down. You know what I don't understand? Yeah. Since we're on the topic of Henry Ford. Yeah. Henry Ford had the... It was apparently a brilliant idea. Clearly, yeah. It worked. Where he realized that I need to make more cars and I need to sell more cars. Yeah. Who's the best person to sell these cars to? It's the workers themselves. Exactly. But yeah. I don't understand. Like, isn't it like an infinite loop? Yeah. It's... How does that make sense? Like, you're buying the cars, you're making the cars, and then you're selling them to your own people. How are you making more? It's just so he, he ends up uh, paying them so much more yeah. than any other company. Right. So they became his first buyers. He basically created, he invested in buyers, basically. Yeah. They're his workers and his buyers. So it's like buying Instagram followers when you make a new account. And it's, then so that people actually, like, you know, to get the ball rolling. Yeah. So that's what he was doing. Essentially, that's yeah. what he was doing. Yeah, he paid them so well. It's just confusing. It's like a like a well. He, he in the he he's also a guy who his first half of his life is really good. He got really dark after the second half of his life. Right. Something happened. They say when he hit the second half of his life, where he went into severe like I don't know what to do with my life. Hmm. Right. It's like a severe depression, right. and he would crisis. midlife crisis. Yeah, like I don't know what to do with my life. That's why we study. You, you want to study these people? Study them for their dunyawi skills. Right. But if you look at their personal lives, it's a train wreck. Like Steve Jobs was the, one of the most me, one of the most miserable humans. Right. He had issues, yeah. personal issues, mental issues. You know, um, I don't know if he directly took from them. Yeah. The, the Moroccans, the, the like the leather tanners. Yeah. He the concept of the assembly line comes from them. Oh, okay. So I don't know if he studied them specifically. Oh, okay. But that's where the Ford assembly line comes from. Well, he got a car used to be made over like a couple of days. Right. He had it made in an hour and a half 90 minutes yeah. you make a car and all the cars are the same and it's almost very much like what Steve Jobs did he said I want a screen uh, the, the computer right. the computer and I want a plug for the computer and a plug for the mouse and a plug for the keyboard that's it the screen and the computer are one like uh, I want it so that it's brainless but that is the sunnah of Allah in the creation things are easy right? Allah has made things that you don't have to think Nobody has to be taught literally uh, like what to do when you feel like you go to the bathroom. You release it. You put a man and a woman in a room together. They know what to do. They will figure it out. It's not rocket science. So the best sellers of things are those who made the product. You don't have to think, right? So, um, uh, getting back to this thing is that you look at these guys and when we're saying that they were the they were successful and people just I, I feel that they just uh, have some envy to their success and they called them the robber barons but they, they oh the, the, the connection was chaos they came up those three came up in chaos Henry Ford didn't come up but those three came up in chaos so J.P. Morgan he mopped up the banking industry it was all haram for haram in the first place uh, Carnegie with the steel J.P. Morgan uh, and, and Rockefeller with the oil Okay, what's going on here with the Haram police? Why is someone saying that? Hmm. Oh, because someone is telling Samreen it's all Haram for Haram. And she said that she worked for J.P. Morgan. Well, maybe she worked for a part of it that was Hana. <laughs> all right, let's see. I have guests around and we're watching the stream, M. Oh, nice. Salaamu Alaikum to your guests. Did they have dinner today? Or was it just tea? Are you in England? Sign up uh, as a member of the YouTube channel to support our live stream. How does this live stream work? Through you, right? Uh, 
you can become a patron at patreon.com backslash Safina Society. Or you could become a member of the YouTube channel. And then you, you have a star next to you and you can do stuff. Uh, Chief Latif, hey, Oz, can we get, they want some more Im- midgets, whatever you call those things. Oh, Im- yes. Oz, the Wizard of Oz. Mm-hmm. So if you become a doctor, you, are you become like Dr. Oz? Dr. Oz. <laughs> <laughs> I think more people know me as Oz than Ahmed. You know that the, uh, see, the Crusaders were your traditional enemy. The Crusaders, that's your traditional enemy. The Mongols came in and were just absolutely uh, like a wrecking ball. And that's what the Americans were like when they went into Iraq. Are modern Lebanese Christians descendants of Crusaders? I think so, because they're Catholics. They're not... East Orthodox and at the time the Christians that lived with the Muslims at that time in the eastern part of the Islamic world were Catholic uh, were Orthodox any Catholics these are the descendants of the Crusaders that area is so mixed up and there's so much intermarriage it's hard to say it's hard to say it's all intermarriage but the 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 rooting of the Catholic Church comes from the Crusaders before that there was only Orthodox Church Mm -hmm. and the Muslims did not call the Crusaders Christians they had good relations with the Christians. They called them Franks, French people, essentially. Right? They called them Franks. The, the, the Christian, they had relations with them. The Orthodox Church. Okay. So well, they... So yeah. We haven't talked yet, like, or maybe you talked about it in the previous one. Like, the real person, like the real bad guy, wasn't even in the area. It was the popes that were the popes, doing all yeah. this. They were doing all this stuff. Yeah. They're the, they're the source of it all. And you read some of their, like, Lives? Yeah. These are horrible people. These are fake popes. Yeah. The guy had 32 kids out of wedlock. Yeah. Right? Even the Christians, they know that these, these guys yeah, are they phones. Know that. Yeah. yeah. And they, were, they also were, were like landowners and they're businessmen and yeah. all that stuff. Muhammad Azagbi, I believe Assassin's Creed, the video game, is based on Ismail's. I guess they have one of the episodes or one of the versions of the, of the game. Okay. Did Salah Hadin write any books? Not, uh, no, no, but he did order a aqidah be written and be taught everywhere. Okay, Eslam and Chief, and everyone is now discussing Black Flag. Is there any evidence for tablighi jama'ah in the Sunnah? Yes, we could find general evidence for the idea of going around giving da'wah. Nothing wrong with that. Inshallah, there shouldn't be anything wrong. With I think they also go off the hadith. I think it's Morasul Hadith, though, about the 40 takbirats being at the beginning of the prayer 40 days in a row. In yes, masjid. to be in the masjid for 40 jama'as in a row. 40 days. That's 200 jama'as in a row with the imam guards you from nifat permanently. Yeah, it's a weak hadith. Um, listen. Guys, Prince Matthew, I guess he's going off to school. This will be the last NBF for me for a while. Okay? Please make dua for me. So Prince Matthew is going back. Prince Matthew, what school are you going to? What university? If he's still here. All uh, a discussion amongst the Shabab here about... 
What is it called again? AC? Assassin's Creed? Okay. Here, Uga Panda. In World War II, the Ford factory built B-24, a B-24 bomber every 63 minutes. That's awesome. I heard Salah Din would only choose people for his army who prayed to Hajjud. Cap or fact? These guys with their terminology. Um... I never heard that, but Allah knows best. Did you hear that before? You know, it's the common story, like, you would go and waiting to invade the Crusaders. Yeah. And then would pray to Hajjud, and, and nobody would join. Mm. Oh, no, no, I think it was praying, he was praying Fajr. And yeah. And he said, we don't go until Fajr in the masjid looks like Jummah. Oh, okay. Something like that. How do we in Islam, says Mahmoud, Balance keeping the tribe and family within with Islamic universalism. Nationalism and being happy with your tribe and your family is not a, a, a bad unless or until the individual becomes somebody who does wrong or oppresses others. Oppresses others in the name of elevating his family or his tribe. Or they believe in their heart that just by virtue of being part of this family or tribe you are superior to anybody else that's where it's a problem did say Omar ban monopolies in Medina I don't think that there was any issue on that to be honest with you like I don't I don't see that there was any um, actual uh, even concept of a monopoly at that time and Allah knows best others draw to say for safely secure it for safety and security in my job. Safety and security in your job. Rabbi inni lima anzalta ilayya min khayrin faqir. That's one of the best things you could say. Rabbi inni lima anzalta ilayya min khayrin faqir. What's the YouTube channel name? Safina Society. Where does Attila the Hun fall into all this? Well, we got to cover Attila the Hun. We got to cover that. How is this all related to... You really like all the dictators. That's a problem. I, uh, my bu- <laughs> because you're not the first person to say this. Right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Why is it that Christian nations were the first to abolish slavery? Not true. Yeah, Mahmoud Zaini, the Ottoman Empire abolished slavery well before it even became a concept amongst the Christians. Okay, the Ottoman Empire did it way before that. Okay. Please make dua for me to find a better job than the bank. Then you should say, Rabbi inni lima anzalta ilayhi min khayrin faqir. Get some of that on the left side of his beard there. Looks like he's got a facial issue. <laughs> it's so weird that I'm doing it for myself. <laughs> Which website can we get the tasbih counter ring from? I'll, uh, I'm going to order some and we'll send, start sending them out to everybody. These counters here. Why is the idda and the prohibition to leave the deceased husband's home considered a right of the husband? Because he did uh, he did do a lot of work in guarding this wife. Okay? No, it looks like you're chewing cut. Oh, yeah. Fix that jaw. Uh, 
sorry to, to, to talk to people off camera while we're on camera because they have no clue what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is they're now making an Oz cartoon character, okay, on the screen. Does the husband need to inform his wife before sunnah fasting? No, he does not. But he should be mindful if she has needs. Why is the idda, okay, why is the idda of the deceased, it is a right of the husband, as in the sense of, for respect for the husband. Um, that's why. Now, why is it that there is a idda if a husband dies, but no idda if a wife dies? Well, the reason is that, is that a man could already have other wives. So there's no point for him to have a idda if she passes away. Because he may already have other wives, right or wrong. So for that reason, then uh, there is no meaning for a, a idda for a husband if the wife dies. But out of respect for that husband, when he dies, then there's a idda of four months and ten days. It's one of those things that is ta'abudi. Allah has revealed it and that's it. But we could say maybe the wisdom is respect for that. Could you repeat how it's related to air to rule? Air to rule, we're gonna, when we get to air to rule, the Mongols and the Crusaders are involved in the Anatolian country, the land of Anatolia. That is it a peninsula? I don't know. I don't think it's a peninsula, but it's whatever it is. But and they had the Mongols from the, the Crusaders from the left, from the west, and the Mongols from the east. The wife has a right to the man, right? Yes, she does, but she doesn't, not necessarily during the day. It could be in the night. And Al-Ghazali, he said that it's every four nights. That's his ishtihad, that the right of a wife for, in, for sexual intimacy is every four nights. And he got that because a man could maximum have four wives, and therefore she would have one out of four days, right? So one-fourth. And then um, he said about that, that uh, he doesn't have to inform about fasting because it's not necessary that she takes that right in the daytime. She could take it in the nighttime. What are the sources for Ottoman Empire abolishing slavery? Uh, Sheikh Rajab has all that. It's a fatwa. It's a document. It's essentially not a fatwa. Sorry, fatwa is not acted upon. It doesn't have to be executed. But this was the, the judgment and the ruling of the scholars of the Ottoman Empire that they gave to the Khalifa and he implemented it. Sheikh Rajab Shenturk he has the document. I'm sure he's translating the document, so we'll have to figure that out, uh, how we can get that document from him. But I'll ask him. Right? Sheikh Rajab Shanturk, when he gave us some lectures on this topic, he said, what are the Muslims all worried about? We abolished slavery well before the Western countries were even talking about it. Can we donate to Dar al-Fat? Yes, we're going to put a donate button up. We don't have a donate button now, but we will put up the donate button. All right, let's see what Saeed Abul is saying. Westinghouse. Yes, Westinghouse was very important. Westinghouse was is a that the big... telecom guy? Yes, telecom guy. You know, all these guys that got their logos designed by like one person pretty much. CBS logo, Westinghouse. It's, oh, it's one Jewish guy from Brooklyn. Yeah. yeah. I have his book. It's a pretty good He's guy. a good guy. In terms of as a designer, he was yeah. great. Yeah. But he, his, his design of um, Next is trash. Yeah. He designed yeah, Next. He Steve, Steve Jobs', Jobs is, yeah. that was trash. 
Were you up uh, all night doing the Safina I was. website? I was up again. Mm-hmm. It was Safina.org. Yeah. Couple, I have to do the other pages, though. How do I teach Arabic to a child 7 to 11 years old? Well, one of the things, Rauda, to your question, is to turn on Arabic TV channels. That's one of the best things, right? It's one of the best things. Let them hear it constantly. Like constantly. It's got to be hours a day. That's one of the best things. If you want classical Arabic, turn on classical Arabic lectures, right? It's so funny. Ali, Ali says he only watches cartoons in Fusah. <laughs> <laughs> You know what this is? Space Tunes? You ever heard Space of Tunes? Yeah. Nope, never heard of it. They dub all the, like, Looney Tunes. Oh, okay. Like that. Well, that's nice. Where is that? A YouTube channel? Like, it's just like a classic thing that kids that grew up in that era. Is it on YouTube now? I think so, yeah. Well, that's good. I mean, that's one of the ways you just keep that stuff in the background. They learn. And it's not Quran, so he can ignore it. But it is settling somewhere in the recesses of their memory. Uh, Chief Latif says, I'm trying to do dawah on my political science professor because Western political philosophy is cringe. Everything is anti-religion and all about absolute individualism. The best way to do this is to show the logical conclusion of something. This is the Kalami approach. To show that the logical conclusion of this is failure and destruction. That's the best way to go about if you're dealing with an extra-scriptural idea. The best way to refute an extra-scriptural idea is do jujitsu, take it to its logical conclusion, and show the destruction that it, it leads to, and or show the contradictions within it. Prince Matthew, hey, he's going to the military. He's getting conscripted. There's going to be no watching uh, nothing but facts while he's uh, cleaning an AK-47 or a Kalashnikov. What country? Nigerian military. Uh, He's joining the Nigerian military. So, if I have issues in Nigeria, I'm going to call you then. Chief uh, Prince Matthew is joining the Nigerian military. So he's not going to be on because they're not allowed to have, uh, you know, they're going to be, he'll be, he'll be uh, polishing off an M16. Because they're American. Because they're American colonists. Oh, okay, American allied. So he's using uh, American weapons. Uga Panda and Hanafi Fit. He's not. He's not Nigerian. Wait, why is there a Nigerian on his picture? Oh, he's Emirati. But who's the Nigerian on his picture? He's gonna. He's gonna explain that to us in a second. Uga Panda. If Hanafi Fit, in a Hanafi Fit, if a company mainly deals with riba, all of it is haram. Okay, all of it is haram. Typhoon Saral says. Does becoming a member or supporting on Patreon help more? Probably, I don't know. What do you tell me, Oz? Patreon. You have more options on Patreon than YouTube member, yeah, go right? Yeah, for Patreon. Patreon. If you want it yeah. Long term, and there's some good exclusives on it. Mm-hmm. Bushra Begum. What is this? Who says it? Both is good though. Yeah. Bushra Begum. If a husband and wife have a property on both of their names, but only the husband paid for it. The husband paid for it, but he accepted that his wife be put on it. Yes or no? So he has essentially given away half the, half the house to her. When he dies, only his half gets distributed in the inheritance. If they divorce, hers is 50-50. Because on the contract, whether it's a UK contract, American contract, contract is a contract. that He signed off on it, right? Did he not sign that it's ha- her name is on it too. He basically gave up half of the house. Okay? 
He gave her half the house. That's why what, what, what's written on paper matters. Armin, Armin, the duck, says, for a Maliki who doesn't have access to any Maliki muftis, is it fine to get fatwa from a Hanafi mufti? Fatawa, remember, are on new matters. So the idea of following a madhab, okay, if there's a new matter, then there is some flexibility on who you get your fatwa from as long as they're reliable scholars and trusted scholars. Okay. Uh, what's the du'a for something that you lost? Surah al-Duha and pray two rakas. Any f- sources on the famous debate between Abu Hanifa and Malik? It was a short debate and Malik left the debate. But um, yeah, maybe one day, we c- can you look that up, Oz? The, the actual nas for that, the, the historical um, incident between Malik and Abu Hanifa? What if you give up on the matter as it feels like a dead end? You stop making du'a but the desire for that thing is still there. Should you still continue making du'a? I personally believe that you should not leave off a du'a once you start because you create a habit. It's a habit. Giving up is a habit. Quitting is a habit, right? When you quit, you get used to quitting. So don't quit. Hold on to it like one of those uh, dogs as jaw locks on something, never going to let go. This is one of the best habits to have, right? So when an idea comes into your mind, hold it and keep it and never quit on it. And yeah, you may fail, you come back, right? Uh, The situation may get away from you, fine, let it get away from you. Bring it right back. What's your opinion on Sheikh Mustafa Sabri? I really want to read his book. I need to read his book. Does the husband have to consent to go to court if a wife wants a divorce? The divorce will happen in the Sharia when the husband signs off on it in an Islamic or a non-Islamic court. So let's say the wife takes the, the um, husband and files for a divorce. The husband gets the paperwork and signs, yes, I will divorce her. That's a divorce by Sharia too. Okay, so the civil marriage is not a marriage by Sharia. There, sharia has more requirements. But when a uh, in the matter of divorce, it's a much lower bar. So if he signs that divorce paper, he can't say, well, I'm just signing the American divorce paper, but by Sharia, I'm not divorcing her. That doesn't work. It's a divorce. And I highly recommend everyone study the fiqh of divorce because many people actually get divorced not knowing, not realizing that it is a divorce. So, for example, a guy wants to um, do some kind of tax scheme, right? He'll get a divorce from his wife, on paper only. Or he wants to bring over another wife. Right? So he'll divorce the first one on paper only. That's a divorce by Sharia too. There's no such thing as uttering the word of divorce in a setting that is immune from a Sharia divorce. No. There's no such thing. It is a divorce. So that's how it works. Dua to help someone grieving and in hard times. You want to soothe your heart? A salah on the Prophet will soothe your heart a lot. And much recitation of the Quran will calm your heart. Because it strengthens your iman. And then you have iman that your loved one went off to the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that Allah ta'ala will provide you with a new life or a new companion to fill that void. If a man has more than one wife on earth, more than one Bani Adam wife in akhirah, 
in the akhirah uh, um, yeah in the akhirah everyone will have man, man, much of everything what if the wife is being harmed and the husband does not want to divorce her she should take that up to the local imams and, and by the way one of the things we need to do this is very serious business is a marriage council here to, that, will, that can impact divorces because by sharia the imam of the, lo, of the masjid takes the place of the qadi in matters of divorce and he may separate wife from husband by sharia he can do that right it so be really a it should be a service and it should be a council of scholars so that no one's head gets um, uh, uh, biased, for example, and that people could sit out if it's their friend or cousin. Right. And it should be a council of like five, ten, sco- ten, ten scholars are on it, and you only need like five to sign off. Right. That's how it should work. Yeah. And the way it works is that if the wife can prove harm by a majlis, like a, a, sit, a, a, a hearing, but he refuses to divorce her, but he's clearly harming her, the qadi or the imam or in this case the council can separate between them you could say you're not divorcing her we are separating her from you I'm telling you we need this yeah. right but it has to be done by scholars who know how to weigh evidence yeah. she needs representation by a faqih or a lawyer who can provide evidence right. and this is not to make fun or anything or make light but coming and crying does not, is not evidence in sharia it's not evidence in US court it's not evidence in anything. Bringing a long email is not evidence. Bring some evidence, right? What is the evidence? The word of people, right? The word of people who would have seen how you live. To the people who are disconnected enough that you're not lying. A bruise, an injury, right? Is evidence from a righteous woman who is known never to lie. That's evidence, okay? Other, other things, for example... Look who's paying all the rent. Look who's paying all the bills. It's all coming out of my account. He's not doing the nafaqah. Fulfilling his nafaqah. Right? All that's evidence. So there should be a, a handbook. What does the evidence look like? That you're being harmed. It's one of the worst situations that a woman could be in. You want these people to fall into kufr. Not the kufr like I disbelieve in Allah. But their, their belief in the rahmah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cannot occur if the sharia is not being applied the sharia is rahmah so they're going to have the people really they collapse they collapse when they're being harmed their rights are not being fulfilled okay and they can't get a divorce at the same time so we have to and we have there, there is there are methods for this okay this is why i think we need a very thick middle class mm-hmm. Muslims, yeah because we'll elevate the scholars and ideas will come out of 100 like, percent class like this because we'll prioritize this. We'll, you know, we'll tell the boards, this is what we're looking for. Uh-huh. And we'll get it done that way. Jennifer Friel is saying, yeah, but no imam wants to do it. That's true. No single imam wants to do it because of their position with the community, right? So he's got to cater to all of them. But if you have a legend, a board right. of 10 or 12 or even 7 and 4 sign off on it, right? You cannot, you can't fool four jurists. Four people who read legal works every day of their life, they read legal uh, material. Maybe you have full four of them. And, you know, it could be anonymized. For example, one imam is in charge of making sure that the names are not there and that, you know, identity is removed. Then the next imam could review the case and look at, okay, these are, you know... And then that I see what you mean. So that in uh, only, like, say, one will see the names, one will see the documents, etc. Right. Separated out like that. Yeah. That's possible if there's... 
if it's a, if it's a case where that's necessary. Right. Like for example, let's just take an example. In my position, when I'm trying to teach the community, I don't even do marriage counseling right. because I'm not going to view you the same anymore. Right. You're not going to view me the same. I'm going to have to side one or the other. But when you have someone who is a a lab teacher, right. he is not a community uh, uh, bridge. All he does is uh, knowledge, and he teaches the knowledge. He can do that. doesn't matter what the community thinks of him, because the community doesn't... He only teaches the, the students of knowledge. He's not the community bridge, or the face of the community. So uh, I really think we're only a few years away from that. We have people who know how to measure evidence. Like, we have two right here, right? One is going to go get trained even more, and come back to be the third, right? And then four or five people from outside so that we don't have any group think we have outside thoughts like it's not like Sheikh Usama right Sheikh right? Yasser Fahmi things like that I think it's a it's a far kifaya mortgages in the, you know these are the main problems of the community yeah divorces and marriages mm-hmm. mortgages loans loans all that's, that that's stuff. That's it. You know, if mm-hmm. we solve those, we'll solve like ninety percent of the issues that we have with you. Because I'm telling you, the 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 greatest benefit and justice is the Sharia. It's and Rahma is the Sharia itself. Many people think Sharia is law and spirituality is mercy. No, Sharia is the Rahma. It takes it prevents you number one from being in bad situations, and when you are in a bad situation, it finds you the solution. Okay. What's my opinion on New Age spirituality and affirmations? I don't even think how that's an affirmation. Did not we all read in kindergarten, the train used to say, I think I can, I think I can, right? Right? How has this had been uh, wrapped up in some kind of quantum mysticism where all it is is focus and self-confidence, right? Focus on something. How do you focus on something? Constantly look at it. Keep your mind focused, that's why you succeed or not succeed because you're focused on it, right? If I'm driving on my GPS and I'm texting while I'm driving, I'm not looking at the GPS, right? I get lost. But if I look at the GPS the entire time, I arrive. Success is by focus. And all these so-called affirmations, it's just like confidence. But it's also belief. You can't do something if you don't believe in it. So it's just emphasizing Belief, confidence, and focus. But they've wrapped it up in some kind of uh, shirky, new agey. Next thing is crystals. and But those things are separate completely. Focus, confidence, and belief. Belief, we're commanded to believe that Allah will answer our du'as. Whether you repeat that, write it on a card, it doesn't make a difference, right? How you achieve that. How do I achieve that? doesn't make a difference. Dhikr, constant mention of something. But these guys have come, throw the word quantum in there, okay, throw some crystals in there, and like they've taken something very normal that all human beings throughout, from the beginning of time until the end of time, have discovered the value of focus, self-confidence, and belief, right? But they've taken it and they've mingled in, into their other beliefs, like the whole New Age crowd, which is the universe, the universe, as if it's a thing. The universe is a bunch of dust, right? It doesn't have no brain in itself. Everything that they think, either attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that they don't want to admit to God because God's going to tell them don't drink, don't fornicate, right? So they want, to, they want the good part of Allah's creation without Allah himself. 
So they call it the universe, right? The universe will answer you. The universe will come to your help. Of course, they're not going to say Allah because that means you have to submit to Him, right? And hold your nafs a little bit. They don't want that. So they want the good side of Allah's sunnah on the earth that people have discovered, right? And that's what we call tajribi. Al-ilm al-tajribi, mujarrabat, is physical or non-physical discoveries about the, the sunnah of Allah in the earth. That's why we believe in Ahl Sunnah as Mujarrabat. And when a scholar comes and says, Oh, as salah and nariya Mujarraba. What does that mean? They discovered it. Someone did it. Maybe someone saw it in, in inspiration. Did it and found a result. Right? Same thing as Marconi discovered radio waves. Right? It's a discovery. Keep tapping in the universe until you discover something. That's all it is. The Muslims used to tap into adhkar. To, to see what pleases Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then they transmit that. Say, oh, Allah's... Ibn Taymiyyah even has one. He says that if you have a need, go to the masajid that have been abandoned. Clean it up. Call the adhan. Revive it. Pray in it a little bit. Allah will answer your need. He discovered. He tapped into something that Allah loves that is in the general command of Allah. Seek the means to Him. Not every single specific detailed means. And that's why the people of Ahlul Bid'ah or the people who always talk about Bid'ah their issue is they want and they expect every detail and specific to be mentioned before it becomes mashru'ah. We say no. Allah has, the mashru'ah is in what's generally commanded to. That means there's many wasail, like what Ibn Taymiyyah said, of uh, uh, giving life to the dilapidated masjid. And Allah will answer your needs and dua. So, uh, that's the idea of certain things in the, in the world and in life, people discover them. They benefit from them. All those things which I've just summarized very quickly as focus, belief, and confidence. What, when they talk about that stuff, they've, talked, they've tapped into or, or are talking about an observation all human beings have made. From wherever you go in the world or in history, people, the achievers in life, they tapped into that stuff. They discovered it as a habit. But they've then mingled it with other things which we would have to reject. Okay? Say the mantra six times in the morning and nine times at night. What are you like a sheikh giving a wird? Right? That stuff is nonsense. But whatever you say, six times, seven times, eight times, no number. Or talk constant about the universe. Or uh, now mingling it with astrology. Or crystals. Or... What else is out there these My days? My experience with it is that it, it's like super, like, everything is like nature. Like, yeah. these guys, they don't They're animists. Yeah. They don't like, what? Like, if, I've, I've noticed some extreme people from these groups, like, they don't shower anymore, they live in a van, and all this type of stuff, like, uh, basically becoming like a rock. Yeah. Uh, they're like, like, they, like, they're trying to, to, to be in the, uh, in accord with the, with the world. Yeah. Which is the fitra wants that, but they don't know how to do it. Right? The fitra wants to be... But by the way, we are not of this world. The human being, saying to Adam, many things about human being is not natural. This is not natural. Technology is not natural. To, to trim up your hair and clean yourself, no animal does that. We are not of this world. We need roofs. Right? And we have... We invent stuff. When we invent stuff, it ruins... Like our, We ruined our teeth, our eyes, our hair. But Allah has created cures for that. Dentistry is so important. Eye doctors are so important. Taking care of your skin, all that. 
right, we eat so unhealthy because we invented things and ways to eat foods that are sweeter than our ancestors could have ever imagined, right? But we ruined our health for that. So what did we do? We also created treadmills. We created, when you do that though, those guys look also look better than our ancestors ever looked before. I mean, when you look at a guy, any guy who goes to the gym, you think some people in the past, yes, they didn't have the ailments, but they also didn't look like that either. So Allah has created, a human being goes out there, invents something, messes something up, but Allah provides a cure for that, right? And a solution for that. And we should really accept all this. It's not for us to say, let's just be with nature. Were you created in this earth? We were created in the heavens. We're not of this world. So we, we are very unnatural in many ways. That is acceptable, right? It's not in contradiction to the fitrah at all. All right, we should stop here. It's now 3.30. If the wife divorces, can she be reunited with her husband? If the wife initiates a khula' and it happens, and the man grants her the divorce, but she initiated it, she can reunite with him in marriage with a new contract if he proposes and she accepts the proposal. Even if it's after the idda? So like, no matter what, a year later, two years later, if yeah. she does the khudah, she can go back to her. Husband. Yeah, there's no rujua. Okay. She has to fulfill the idda, right. but you can, rujua means to recant the divorce mm-hmm. within the idda period, the waiting period. So she has to have a waiting period in which she cannot marry again. Okay. But um, uh, there's no rujua for the khura. Mahmoud Zaini, how do we make marriage appealing to the young? A lot of the young guys, maybe girls too, they've fallen into the gender wars and they call them black-pilled, right? Red-pilled, black-pilled, whatever these terms are. Uh, but I would say to yourself, our, uh, wouldn't our physiology require us to get married, right? Yeah. I mean, how? Would it, isn't it a necessity of life? How do you make food appealing to people? Right? No, there's an incongruence. Because when the guys are ready to get married, at that time the girls, they're so pushed like, to have careers at that yeah. time. And then when the girls are ready to get married, now the guys are like, no, you know, like, I want to make money now. And society has made this weird, like, yeah. Like back and forth. One of the sh- tricks of shaitan is to always make marriage impossible. Mm-hmm. Should the husband spend on his ex-wife after the divorce if she doesn't have children? Anything he gives her is a sadaqah from his own. He owes her nothing. And if the wife does have children, of course he has to cover the expenses of the daughter until she marries. And, of, and the son until he's able to take care of himself. Let's stop here. And for those who are seeking marriage, we ask Allah Ta'ala to give them a blessed marriage and to make marriage easy again in our communities and in our, in our societies. I ask Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala to, uh, for those who are already married, increase their happiness in marriage, increase their sa'ada in marriage. We ask Allah Ta'ala by His name, Ya Mujib, Ya Mujib, Ya Mujib, to hear our dua and to answer them. We ask Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala for all those who are seeking jobs, that Allah opens the doors of rizq, halal, for them. All those who are seeking wealth, that Allah Ta'ala opens the doors of wealth and lets them be thankful and grateful with that wealth to use it in a way that their wealth becomes 
a witness for them on the day of judgment, not a witness against them. We ask Allah Ta'ala to let us live and die with good relations with the Ummah, good relations with the Mu'mineen, with the Muslims, and not have any tension between us and righteous Muslims. We ask Allah Ta'ala to let us live and die upon the Masajid, humility therein, ibadah, worship, not seeking the rida of anyone but Allah Ta'ala. We ask Allah Ta'ala to soften our hearts through the love of the Messenger, peace be upon him, and we ask Allah Ta'ala that He make none more beloved to us than His most beloved, Sayyidil Kaunain, Sayyidina Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Wa akhiru da'wana and alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.